Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to another episode of The Real Time Show. With me, your friendly neighborhood jeweler, Aloma Joseph. Today, I'm very honored and proud to welcome to the virtual studio, my long time and long lost friend, Jorn Verdelin, the co-founder of Linda Verdelin Watches. How are you, Jorn? I'm great, and thank you so much for having me on your show. Like you said, it's been a long time since we've seen each other, but, you know, so it goes with, uh, with time, doesn't it? So I'm in, uh, in Estoril in Portugal, um, and I moved here about two, well, I moved to Portugal from London uh, about two and a half years ago. Um, we, you know, as you were too, we were in the pandemic, and after one year, I just felt that, you know, being kind of imprisoned in our home was not really the way that I saw my future. So I got this idea that we, first that we needed a place to escape to, and then that place to escape to became, uh, you know, moving here. Congrats on that and good on you. So I'm very happy to have you on the show. Why? Because Rob and I started over a year ago with the Real Time Show, and we always, both of us loved the brand Linda Veldelin, and we're always fascinated by you two Scandi crazy guys that set up a cool brand, moved to London, made amazing watches, and then it seemed that you guys fell off the radar. So then we on air said, you know what, we need to reach out to them and see if we can get them on air and see what the heck has happened to them. So please, Jorn, walk me through why you two guys started LW. And for our dear listeners, if you're not familiar with the brand Linde Veldelin, you can find them online, L-I-N-D-E-W-E-R-D-I-L-I-N.com. And on Insta, it's exactly the same, at Linde Veldelin. So when we started in 2002, uh, I mean, we're 21 years old now. And Mort and I, we've been long-time friends. We've known each other since we were about six years old. And we had this idea that uh, we, we should be, you should be able to attach functionality, digital functionality, onto mechanical timepieces, and uh, which was obviously something that had never really been done before. What we looked at also were you know, watches like Breitling and, and Tissot, you remember the T-Touch, where you kind of mixed in the digital into the analog and mechanical. And, and we thought that was a compromise. Um, so we started developing you know, mechanical timepieces and instruments. And the instruments were for skiing and for diving, which are you know the two universes that we have always been in. And that comes from personal uh, you know, passion. Uh, I've, I've always skied. My dad took me to Switzerland took us to Switzerland um, when we were out six or seven years old and then onwards from there. So my, my dad, he imported and retailed uh, watches and jewelry to Denmark. So it was a bit sort of a, uh, you know, a slightly different upbringing from, uh, from you know, other Danes in the, in the 60s and 70s. Um, and I think those two passions have, you know, followed me along since. Um, but anyway, so in, in, in 2002, we started working on, uh, on the watches and the instruments. And we launched in, uh, in 2007. And, 
you know, it was very new, the, the idea, the concept we had. You have, you have to remember, this is about the time that the iPhone came around. You know, think about how that changed the world. Um, and, uh, uh, and then we uh, we participated in, you know, Geneva, in, in Basel. Uh, we got distributors around the world, retailers, uh, and... Uh, you know, we, 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 I would say we followed a, a sort of semi-traditional uh, distribution model, uh, but at the same time, we, we had a, uh, a very sort of forward-looking uh, marketing communication model. We went digital straight away and, uh, and, and didn't waste money or time on prints, um, and, uh, which was a good choice. Um, and between, I would say nine because eight was a you know zero eight was a difficult year because of the financial crisis. Um, but from two thousand and nine until two thousand and fifteen, we we grew very very quickly, and uh, and then the world changed uh, in two thousand and fifteen sixteen, and we we changed the way that we operated because what I found was that uh, the the distribution, the traditional distribution model, was fraught in the way that it we we sold a lot of watches, but it was very difficult to control, and uh, and it was also it was difficult in tough times to make sure that our um, our watches kind of man- maintained their price, and uh, so we decided to you know change the way that we sold. We already had a very successful direct business, which we started I mean, literally from the beginning. Um, and, uh, and then we, we said, well, you know, if we, if we have to kind of focus on one horse or bet on one horse, we will bet on the, on the direct uh, business because it gives us control and it gives us control of the, uh, of the aftermarket, the pre-owned. And there will never be, you know, too many watches in the market. Um, there will always be one less that we have sold, you see what I mean? And that's kind of the model that we have pursued since 16 up until now. And, uh, I mean, literally as we speak, we have very tentatively started going back into uh, a little bit of retail, primarily in markets where we don't have access uh, very easily. Such as South Korea, where we have just done a lot, uh, such as Japan, uh, and we will probably also be a few places in in the US because that's our main market. For our listeners that are not that familiar with the brand, and then Yorn is very modest and went through it quickly, but I remember vividly the first time I've encountered their watches and the brand, literally two decades ago. So when a buddy of mine, who also skis like I do, sent me over this crazy idea of a mechanical automatic watch with what I then called the 21st century of Danish design. I mean, the Danes are obviously very famous for design and they have their own design language. The Dutch design movement is in the shadow of Danish design. I called it very edgy <laughs> in the 21st century Danish design. And then with a square module that was 
basically a board computer clicked on top that it blew my mind and i've been in love with uh linda Werling ever since and that's what you're referring okay. at right yep 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 exactly before we tumbled down the rabbit hole and the evolution of the brand so morton and you two buddies from denmark started watches i can guess why because your dad wasn't watching but you if i remember correctly started as a banker yeah you know i graduated i took a you know masters uh, in in denmark in uh, in 1990 and uh, <clears throat> and i had this desire to move abroad so four days later i, uh, I was in paris and uh, you know learning french and uh, and then i got offered a job in an investment bank in paris um, and i worked there for half a year at what what it was probably still called a stagiaire which is a very lowly paid uh, you know analyst and uh, and then after that i moved to london and worked in investment banking for about almost 10 years until year 2001 and then i had in, enough of that i mean the intellectual challenge was obviously you know super exciting and interesting uh, but but you know the the whole work and you know, working as an agent and and not as a principal, um, and then uh, you know, more than I, we we always had a very good dialogue about uh, about everything. You know, products, design. He comes from a uh, a furniture, uh, you know, family background, and uh, and and we had sort of very common, uh, you know, first of all, culture. I think is is very important, but also you know, aesthetics. Um, so it was very easy for us to work together on a product because we literally never disagreed. And but then again, having said that, there is a huge difference from actually creating something to, uh, to uh, kind of knowing whether it's good or bad. And uh, you know, I am not the uh, you know the creator, uh, and 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 Morton was and, and is. Um, and, uh, and that's really how it got started. Um, and, you know, for that modern, you know, he would come to me and say, you know, what do you think? And I'd say, well, no, that's, that, that's great. Or, you know, maybe could it be like this or could it be like that? But it was always modern who decided at the end how the things were going to be. And, uh, and then I took care of, uh, of the other parts, which is, you know, kind of the more, uh, you know, communication that's, uh, you know, storytelling, as it's called, and, uh, you know, kind of presenting ourselves and our ideas and, you know, what we wanted to do. Today, if I understand correctly, Morton is not actively helping with the brand, Linda Verden, anymore, right? So Morton is, uh, I, I would say, a, you know, a passive partner. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we, we speak and communicate about the things that we're doing, but Morton has uh, started some years ago with his uh, his wife and uh, and some of his children a, uh, a design studio, which is you know other uh, I'm very artistic pieces and and and, and design in uh, in interior and furniture etc etc. And and the reason that we we kind of you know separated in that way is that Morton wanted to do other uh, design and you may remember that we 
we did a bicycle and we did some skis and we did some other things. And, uh, and we were also, I think when you develop, um, a, a watch and, uh, and with that, a brand, you have to, uh, you know, you, that, there's a very creative period. At least that, 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 that's how I feel about it. That there's a very creative period where you move very quickly and you, you, you sort of improve and it's, a, in, it's an intellectual uh, development phase where you start out with something which is, uh, you know, maybe, maybe less complicated. And then over time, you, you sort of develop into the, the final product. And, uh, and I think we had reached the, the final product uh, probably around, you know, 13 to 15 uh, in the sense that we had established the Spiderlite family and the Octopus family. And, uh, and when you then have, uh, you know, I would say kind of you know, 90% of the design, there really isn't that much to do on an everyday basis. And if you look at other, uh, you know, some of the most successful brands, they, they, they have done that, right? They, they, you know, you take the Royal Oak, for instance, or you take the Nautilus or Deep Rolex. These are models that uh, were developed maybe in the 50s and in the 70s and are representative of, of their time. But in the last 50 to 70 years, or you take the Reverso, which is more than 90 years now, uh, which I, is, a, is an icon and an absolutely beautiful piece. Um, th then you go into another stage where it, it's more, it's much more evolutionary, right? You 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 change a little bit, you you know, quote unquote, you improve a little bit, or uh, and 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 becomes less of a design phase. And that was where what we reached. And that's probably where Morton thought, you know, I am not that busy anymore. I need to do something else. Um, so hence, hence we are where we are. So please walk us through now back in time. So you guys created that amazing modular hybrid mechanical and computer tool watch. Then what? <laughs> yeah. So, so we did this and you can imagine, I mean, I mean, it was super fun. And, uh, and I think we just, we both laughed. I, I still love, you know, going to, to Switzerland. I was there last week, um, uh, you know, being with the factories, discussing how things are done. Uh, but, but from the beginning, when we developed the, the, uh, the computer or the instrument, there was this sort of, uh, nobody had ever taken a mechanical movement and put a computer so close. Right, and you have to think about magnetism and, and other things that can impact the accuracy of a movement. So there was a lot of testing going on, and, and and the other problem we had was, you know, how do we make it thin enough so that the the instrument doesn't overpower the uh, the watch, and how do they actually how do they design wise and construction wise work together so that we, you know, as a as a client, you wouldn't lose your instrument. So it, it, it was really, you know, quite compli uh, complicated. And, um, and, and, and today when you see the, the design of the watch case, it, it is very much impacted by 
the original idea of putting an instrument, you know, kind of sliding it over the top of the watch and fixing it on the side. And, uh, and for me, I, I guess that is also part of the, you know, the Danish cultural heritage is about this functionality. And when I talk about Danish culture, it's because I don't think that Linda Berlin is Danish design as such, because Danish design can tend to be very minimalistic. And it, that is not something that, I mean, personally, I'm a great proponent for, um, because I think simplistic design can also very easily become quite boring. Um, so we, 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 we wanted to have this Danish culture I mean, I will not want it. I think it's very natural that they came into it. Um, and, and, but, but still has something which was fairly complex and fairly, uh, you know, something that you can enjoy over a long time. And, and, and funny enough on that, I mean, you, you know, Christian Hagen. Of course, of course. Good mate of mine. Yeah. Love him. Well, exactly. And, and, you know, known Christian for many, many years. And, uh, <clears throat> And he's had quite a few of our watches, both, you know, bought from us and, you know, bought uh, secondhand market, etc. And it's not more than six months ago or something. He said, John, I never noticed in an octopus double date, the dial shows an octopus with four tentacles at, you know, four and five o'clock and seven and eight o'clock. And I was like, so surprised. I said, Castillo, are you serious? You never thought about this before? Didn't I tell you anything? No, 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 no. And uh, and for me, it also shows that, you know, after many years, you, you can have a piece that you look at and look at and you can still, you know, experience something new. And I think that's really important uh, in, in a watch that you can enjoy it over a long time. Um, and, and, you know, you can, I mean, but that, that's sometimes what we say is that if, if you put on your Linda Verdlin in the morning and it makes you smile for a couple of seconds, then we've done our job. That's it. And interesting about what you said about designs and about Danish design and Scandinavian design. And I, and I, and I want to already now reinvite you to come back on the show because Rob and I love <laughs> design and designers. We're thinking of doing a TRTS symposium with just designers. Okay. So hereby, you already have a rain check for an invitation to come back physically and on air. It's amazing actually uh, listening to you, and it's funny that uh, what Christian said about the octopus, and I and I, I've I've always known he's one of your biggest fans. Together with my Dutch friend Robert Jambour, he also used to have one, so I used to yeah. rock his Linda Vermeulen <laughs> and Christian's one. I believe you guys even did a collab with Christian, didn't you? Oh yeah, so in sixteen, I was in Miami and. Uh, yeah, do, doing some work over there, and I, I speak to Christian, and somehow we get into that he was he missed out on a three timer with uh, a green dial, and uh, and I said to him, well, maybe we you know we can do one, which is your color, and uh, so we did a small series of thirty three uh, with his colors, which is kind of an olive green, blue, inspired by, uh, you know, Barker and, uh, you know, Landros, et cetera, et cetera, you know, kind of, you know, 
you know, a bit sort of uh, you know, nature, right? Um, and and that was that was quite successful, and that that led us on to do more three timer series, and we we kept on with the three timer between uh, 2016 and the. Christian Hagen edition was the first of them, and then we we stopped that at the end of twenty two with the Sunset Collection, very aptly named. Um, so uh, yeah, so that that was uh, kind of the inspiration for you know what is that a, a, a seven year period of, of three summers. So I've always seen you guys as pioneers, pushing the envelope, thinking out of the box. It started obviously with your first watch. So the hybrid watch of a mechanical watch with a modular board computer or a skiing computer or a chip computer, whatever you want to call it, edgy designs. You guys were Danish, went to London, made it already a hybrid company because you couldn't put you guys into a, a square or a box, always thinking out of the box. You did that collab with, I, I hate the word influencer, Christian is a force on his own and by himself and has his own style, both in dressing indeed with his waxed jackets and his <laughs> wing boots and his defender and his green and the collabs you guys did. And then you guys gave me a blast from the past this last two weeks. I got an email from you guys because you kept on pushing the envelope on innovation. You did one of the first brands, maybe the first that did pre-owned Yep. So their own watches are pre-owned. You did direct-to-consumer, one of the first. You did e-com, one of the first. And I believe you guys were the first watch brand to wor work with King Nerd. So Johnny Dowell, and that blew my mind, but I forgot it. And you guys dropped a press release that your guys are auctioning off one of the old pieces he did. Yep. And hopefully this episode airs two days after the auction went live on your own.com, so lindeverlin.com. I believe it runs from the 28th of November until the 8th of December, if I remember correctly, yeah, from the exactly. press release. So let's talk about these two things. So those that are not aware who King Nerd is, he's a super cool dude. I call him a tattooist for metal. So he's an <laughs> engraver. He's an artist who expresses himself in metal. Do I summarize that correctly? I, I I think very much so, and uh, I think the difference between Johnny, uh, yeah, so he's he's artist name is Kinger, but his real name is uh, Johnny Dahl, um, and uh, I think the difference between Johnny and other engravers is that he's he's very creative in terms of what he will in what he will engrave, and the uh, you know how he does it and the storytelling of it. Um, and uh, we, he contacted us in 2014. He had seen one of our watches in a hotel, and uh, I think actually in Lisbon in Portugal. Um, and uh, he called us, and we spoke. And initially, the, we, we, we had worked on another piece with a Danish tattoo artist uh, called Henning Jotsen uh, from something called Royal Tattoo. Um, so we'd already done a an octopus tattoo, and we had this idea about engraving that it was something you know the old seafarers did when they travelled, and and we were also in a time I guess we still are where everybody has a tattoo, and and one of the reasons that I don't have a tattoo is I don't want to have something that I can't take off. 
So we got this idea, well, why don't we put a tattoo onto the watch and you will enjoy it. And then when you take the watch off and the tattoo off, you, you know, you're, you're good for something else. Um, so anyway, so Johnny contacts us and we start working on uh, the first collaboration, which was called The Reef on an Octopus. Um, and, uh, and then we did another one called Crazy Universe and a third one called uh, Volcano, um, which we did a few years ago, I think maybe three years ago. Um, and, uh, and then we thought, well, let's do one piece um, where you have complete artistic freedom. You can do you know, really whatever you want to do. And it was during the pandemic, so it was also a bit on and off because obviously we couldn't meet each other, and uh, you know people were generally uh, busy with uh, you know surviving or a lot, lot of other you know, non-watch related thing, uh, things. And um, and then when when we assembled the piece, um, and it was a little bit like with the volcano, the volcano. Neither Johnny nor I actually knew would it be cool or would it be awful. And sometimes you have to take these chances, right, where you say, well, let's go for it. And, uh, you know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work. But if you never try that, then you never break any barriers, right? You, you, you will only do what other people have already done. Um, and, uh, and then when we uh, assembled what we then came to, you know, call the monster, and I'll tell you why it's called the monster. Uh, you know, we just found that it was an absolutely beautiful piece, um, obviously. And uh, and when I looked at it and I studied, it just reminded me of, uh, you know, one of Julie Van's uh, stories, you know, 20,000 Leagues uh, Under the Sea, um, and which is a story about uh, Captain Nemo sailing the oceans. Uh, uh, and, and initially... The submarine that he has uh, built or developed, uh, people think that it's a monster, hence the name monster. And uh, and I just thought the story about you know something that happens in the you know eighteen fifties uh, you know with a with a U boat or submarine and uh, you know it was just very romantic and you know it's a time of exploration, right? And it's and it's a you know I think from us these days it's just a, a time of you know, great progress and, and innocence that we, you know, that certainly I don't feel today in, in today's world. Um, so, so that, so hence it became the, uh, the octopus monster. And then we had this idea that, well, it's a one-off piece. So how do we price it? I mean, at the end of the day, either it's priced too highly or, or, or too cheaply. And, uh, and then we thought, well, let's put it on an auction. Um, but, you know, one thing with an auction is that you have to pay, a, you know, 25, 30% premium. And I thought, well, you know, why don't we do our own auction? And it was, you know, in the vein of, uh, of pre-owned, which we started, as you rightly say, we were the first one in the industry to do it back in May 2016. And since then, you, many brands have taken upon them to do it, including recently Rolex. And 
I mean, when we did pre-owned, which is another story I can I can get to, but but the the auction facility which we launched uh, yeah, last week, I think it's it's a way for us to uh, communicate with our uh, customers because uh, and and engage with them. So for me, it's not so much of achieving, you know, a a super high price. And as you probably know, also some of these auctions these days, it's 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 actually more about marketing and about branding than than you know buying or selling buying a watch. Uh, and the brands use it mostly to to tell the uh, you know the industry at large see how expensive our watches are. They are uh, they are investments. They are investment assets. And and while that can be true, I just find that the you know the whole idea of making watches and selling watches and buying watches should not be whether it is an investment asset. It should be whether it's a beautiful timepiece that you will enjoy wearing for some time. And uh, so so for us, the auction facility is 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 not uh, you know branding marketing. It is more communication with our community. And I can see from the people who have already registered for the auction that it, it a lot of them are existing good clients that already have, you know, one, three, seven, ten pieces. Um, and, and, uh, and, and that's really the, the, the people that it caters to. For our dear listeners, the auction is, this is the inaugural auction of this watch. Afterwards, you'll continue with pre-owned pieces. This particular piece unique, so the unique piece, is the Ford collab with King Nerd, is a new one. Am I, did I answer that correctly? Oh yeah, absolutely. And walk us through the steps for those that are considering to register. So you go to lindaverdelin.com, you find uh, the auction or probably on the homepage, and then what? Yeah, so, I mean, s- simple process. You know, you go on our website, you register, uh, you know, your, your name, uh, your contact details, uh, and also your, your credit card. You, you will not get charged anything, but it's kind of also just a, a measure that people are, you know, serious about it. We, we, we don't want people to bid on it uh, and not really, I mean, just for the, just for the fun of it, if you see what I mean. And, uh, and then the auction starts on the, uh, the 28th. Uh, of November at two o'clock and finishes at on the eighth at eight p.m. and then the winner will be contacted by us uh, personally um, and, uh, and 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 that'll be that. It's it's a fairly simple process. Building it was not so simple, um, but obviously we we and, and we wanted to use uh, you know kind of methods that other auction sites uh, have used right and, and, and try and make it as easy and as transparent for for the bidders uh, as possible so i see that regular octopus moon models retail between a fifteen thousand and about 20 plus there is i see a, a, a engraved one around 25 what did you do with this inaugural auction? Is there a reserve? Is there a minimum? Do you communicate a estimate, like 
classic auction houses. We have put on uh, a reserve of, of 10,000 Swiss. I didn't want to be you know, aggressive in it because obviously there, there's also a difference between the watches that we have. We, we, you know, we don't sell them. People buy them in their own time. So, so, so uh, but, but, but an auction is different because, uh, you know, you, you have this, you know, the, the deadline, right? The, the, the watch will be sold to the person who on Friday the 8th at 8 p.m. has decided this is what I want to pay today. So, so there's that sort of timing difference. Um, and, uh, you know, whether someone will pay 20 or 25, you know, we don't know. And, and I think it's also, it's less to the point. Obviously, we would like to achieve an, a, a good price for it, but it's really up to, to, to the bidders, right? Who wants to do that on a Friday uh, on the 8th at 8 p.m.? And, and we, we, we will see. It indeed underlines what you just said, that this is all about marketing, getting the message out. Because if you think about it, worst case scenario, you just meet your reserve. That's way below cost price because King Nerd spent over 200 hours just engraving, let alone the production of the watch. Super cool what you're doing. Kudos to you. I hope it will reach a record-breaking amount because it is a true piece of art. I've been following King Nerd actually because of Linda Veldelin. And then the, the, because of the friends of the show, Mr. Enthusiast, our dear friend Phil Toledano did two cool pieces with Johnny, uh, Rolex watches, and obviously our English friend George Bamford did yep. several collabs with him. Uh, Johnny's also a, a sneakerhead like I am, and I love his coins that he engraved. So <laughs> for those that are fascinated, check uh, Johnny on Instagram, handles at KingNerd. N-E-R-D. From there, dear Jorn, let's talk about regular pieces, which obviously is an understatement. Walk us through the collection. So today, there are two models. We have the Octopus and Spido. Walk us, please, through what is the brand today about? Two models, what is the design language, what's the philosophy, and how much do you guys do in-house, both design and manufacturing? The two families are representative of our two universes. And that stems and goes back to the beginning. Um, so as I said earlier, when we, when we started with the instruments, <clears throat> it came from skiing, which, you know, something that I have had a, yeah, passion is such a misused word, but it's something that I enjoy a lot and, and, uh, and have done for many, many years. And, uh, and that was one of the uh, sort of the mainstays of the brand already from the beginning and, and kind of the, the origin of the idea. It, at the beginning, we, we had uh, what we called the bifometer, uh, which was a more traditional timepiece uh, in steel with uh, ETA movements and a traditional turning bezel. Um, and uh, it, it was, it was, one family, which I guess these days we kind of call the, the, the classic family. And uh, then in 2007, eight, I think it was, um, we, 
we sponsored or we participated in uh, uh, in an adventure with Conrad Anker and Liu Holding, and Liu Holding has been an LW explorer uh, ever since 2007. Um, and uh, they were going to do a film about Charles Mallory climbing Everest. And, and the short of it, the, that story is that uh, you. They they never knew whether George Mallory actually made it to the top of Everest, so they wanted to recreate uh, uh, that whole you know scenario with free free climbing Everest in traditional uh, gear. So anyway, so we gave them a few of our watches and you know said uh, you know we look forward to hearing how it went when you come down uh, come down the mountain. And we had a meeting in our office in uh, in Notting Hill, London. And uh, we sit across them and they, they tell us, well, uh, at, at base camp, we uh, took the watch off and we only carried the instrument to the top. And we were obviously, I mean, very disappointed. <laughs> I think it's a mild expression, right? Because the whole idea was that for us, you have the watch and the instrument on top, right? And obviously not that you leave the watch behind. And, uh, and they say, well, you, you know, why don't you develop a, a lighter watch? So that we can wear it to the top, and uh, and Morden went back to the drawing board, and instead of just finding a light material, uh, using which we did uh, using titanium instead of uh, instead of steel, uh, he also came up with the idea of skeletonizing the case, and uh, and again, you know, something aesthetically unique, but came from a you know functionality point of view. Um, and he looked at, uh, you know, racing cars, Formula One cars, rally cars, et cetera, et cetera, where you get rid of everything unnecessary and you, you kind of just retain the essence of, you know, of what's, what is necessary to keep the, you know, car running as fast as possible. And likewise here, you know, taking away the, uh, the kind of the insights, the unnecessary parts, but still retaining the, the structure and the aesthetics of, of the timepiece. And that became the, uh, the spider light. And obviously the name has, uh, you know, connotation with being light and, and, uh, and the spider web. Um, and it's, I, I think also the name is sort of, you know, maybe a little bit, uh, t time typical of, 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 uh, of, uh, of the noughties, right? Um, and, uh, and then when we had developed the the computer for diving called called the breach, um, we felt that we needed to update the the octopus, which is the the family that goes into the sea. And uh, we used a lot of the construction uh, from the instruments into the uh, the timepiece, the screws. Um, and uh, we, we, we dropped the, uh, the turning bezel, um, because obviously we had all that functionality in the instrument. And, uh, and then also instead of having a, 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 a monocoque construction of the case, we, we felt this sort of very kind of, you know, Lego type that, you know, we had an inner case, which was representative of, uh, of a diving belt. Um, and we, we had this idea that you have a diving bell and inside the diving bell you have life. And obviously for us, the movement is the life and we need to protect that. And then we had entities at 12 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock and 3 o'clock 
that we added onto the, the central case, and that became the uh, the octopus. And and obviously within that is also our strap system, which is that we you know every strap fits every watch. So so again, I would say the design uh, and the construction is 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 a bit sort of modular. Um, again, I think Danish, you know, being practical about things. Um, and, uh, and 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 look to the you know what what, what is it that we actually using these things for uh, and making them slightly functional. Talking about the production, you said you often love to go to Switzerland. You're often there. Is everything Swiss made with Linda Berlin? Yes, it is. Except for uh, some of our rubber straps are made in uh, an Italian factory, which um, it, I mean, it's probably the best factory. For making rubber, they they were kind of the people that invented the uh, I, I think the the smell free rubber strap for Hublot back in the seventies. So they're kind of the original. But but apart from that, everything is made in Switzerland. But you will also notice that we do not put Swiss made in our dial, um, and and you you know the whole thing about the Swiss made. It needs to be fifty one or sixty percent. Which is also, it's, you know, it's kind of a really, right? I mean, what's the point of that? You're trying to sell something, you know, being Swiss, and actually it, it really isn't that much Swiss, right? And um, um, so, so we, yeah, I mean, the, I think the, the, the quality, the volume, the complexity means that we can only make it in Switzerland. And, and it's also where, the people are the uh, the experience, the machines, the the proximity of everyone. You know, the, you know the people that works on the dial, the people that works on the complication, uh, one type of case. You know, because our gold cases are made in a different factory from titanium, from carbon, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I mean, it's all driving distance. And uh, and I, you know, I just doubt that you can do anything. To that quality level uh, outside of Switzerland, not that we would want to. And talking about calibers, what do you use for Lindeberle? In the in the original family, um, you know the the, the bifometer and the three cylinder was ETA uh, two eight nine two and ETA two eight nine three. In the um, in the Spider Light Spider Speed family, we use uh, or we currently we use uh, movements from the Concepto factory. Uh, which is uh, the Jacquet family that that uh, owns that, um, and in the octopus we use uh, bases with uh, a, a tube water pack complication and an in-house uh, develops uh, and designed uh, moving phase complication. We have also worked with uh, briefly, you know, we worked with uh, Sven Anderson. We did some uh, some watches with him and. Uh, we also work with uh, Frederic Piquet movements. Um, and then we have another generation coming in the future, which is slightly different. We, have all, we also actually do work with uh, Jean-François Mouchon uh, of, uh, of Connaught. The, uh, the Spider-Lights 3D is a movement that we've done with him. So, so you know, the, there's in, in the history, we've gone through... You know, a development which which started with ETA movements, and, and and then moved sort of in 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 
I would say, in various directions. Um, and uh, what we found with the PT movements that they were actually a little bit too fine uh, to be used in a proper sports world. And, you know, we, we while I would say that what we do is hopefully up to a very high uh, standard and a very high quality, I don't consider us to be, uh, you know, what I think is, is autologerie, which is a, a, a very singular focus on the movement itself and where everything else becomes secondary or tertiary. For, for us, it's more of a, you know, I'm not sure if holistic approach is quite the right word, but maybe a balancing out of, you know, of, uh, of what, what is inside and what's outside and, and the purpose of the watch. And given that they are watches from sports, you know, we want them to be able to sustain, you know, extreme conditions and uh, not, not, not extreme impacts, but, but you know, uh, extreme conditions, very cold, uh, you know, obviously deep down in the sea, uh, you know, and, and we, we want people to wear our watches when they, when they do their activities, right? It's not a, it's not a timepiece that you, 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 you keep in, in, in your safe or in your, in your drawer and then take, and then take on some god awful plastic watch, right? So you gave me a wonderful segue now because you gave me an opening to ask about the future. You're only 21 years old, company-wise. So in the US, you're eligible to have some alcohol. <laughs> so it's time to party. What's <laughs> in the pipeline for the brand, Linda Verdelin, for you? And tell us a bit more about the people behind it and also the explorers because you, you indicate you have some explorers and you can find them on the website as well. Bring, bring us more into the the, 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 the the LW world and the future, please. Right now or in, in these, say last year and, and, and the next year, we are in a bit of a pivoting phase, if, if we can call it that. First of all, as I said earlier, we have decided to very slowly go a little bit back into, into whole, wholesale or retail, uh, which, which is a big decision for us. Um, and then secondly, we are working on uh, what I call the our third generation of watches, which will be uh, the the next generation of the octopus and the next generation of the uh, of the spider lights. Um, and obviously, that is a uh, you know it takes time, um, and also it's it's an effort where we kind of need to make sure that it goes uh, you know. Yeah, well, smoothly, and we do it at the right time, uh, and uh, and that will involve um, a, a slightly different uh, case design for both. Uh, for people who don't know about Linda Verlin, they probably wouldn't be able to see it. Um, but for people who do know Linda Verlin, they will uh, be able to tell the difference. And and then uh, at the same time, we are also working on the uh, on the movements. And the some of the functionality in the movements, so it, it's it's quite a big uh, it's a it I, well I I it's a big project for us uh, to do that, um, and uh, I think it's well it is the right time to do it. So that 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 is the future. Um, as for the explorers, we recently started with a very young uh, Portuguese big wave surfer uh, as a as a new explorer. And uh, it was 
it was something that I, I think before I came to Portugal, I, I just didn't know what it was. And, uh, and then after a couple of times having been up to Nazare and also watching the, the hundred wave, I was just so amazed about these people that go out and, uh, you know, they kind of conquer these, you know, these huge waves. And the, 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 the way I can describe it is it's a little bit like skiing down a mountain with an avalanche right behind you. And, and I mean, that's literally what they do. You know, these huge waves that are 30, 40 meters high. And they just serve them like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a one or two meter. So, we, you know, we thought that that was a very, uh, you know, it, it, because our, we, we obviously get approached by people if we want to sponsor them or, you know, they can be explorers. But for, for us, it's not so much, it, it's, it's not about, uh, being competitive. Um, and for instance, with Leo Holding, when he uh, goes on an expedition, it is not about climbing the highest mountain, the quickest, the most. It's about a, a, a proper exploration uh, and, and you know an an adventure. And he just came back from uh, an, well, some months ago, an expedition to to Canada. Um, but but also some years back they uh, they did an expedition to uh, a mountain in uh, in Guyana called Mount Roima, and uh, it means uh, sleeping six nights up the mountain, which is super vertical and starts as a jungle uh, with mud everywhere and uh, and ends up obviously you know I think four thousand feet high up uh, or. You know, maybe yeah, and uh, you know, with being cold and freezing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and, and for me, it's it, the Our Explorers is about the adventure and the exploration, and, and not about these record uh, achievements, which I think so many brands do, and obviously will do a lot better than us. And I and I think that as a as a as a business, right, it it is very very hard for us to compete straight on with other brands because either they have been around much, much longer and uh, it is m much uh, easier for people to to buy them um, uh, or they are, you know, financed by, uh, you know, big investors and, uh, you know, literally have no limit to, you know, how much money they can spend on marketing, etc. Um, and, and that's really so. We, we've always tried to maneuver in, in, in different ways and uh, and to approach things, you know, yet differently. And hence, also with the explorers, that we're not trying to find a, you know, the uh, the, the the best Formula One driver, which we probably would have to pay millions, uh, you know, to be associated with, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Talking about pioneering and what I would call organic partnerships and holistic ambassadors, you were, I believe, also one of the first brands to communicate about their sustainability. Would you elaborate a bit about that, please? Well, first of all, I, again, I would you know, mention the, the, the Danish culture. <clears throat> um, when you're in Scandinavia, you find that 
they or we are a lot more conscious about the environment and how we treat it. Um, so a lot further ahead on renewables. Uh, we, 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 we don't just throw things out. We reuse them. It, it, it's a, a sort of a more aesthetic, uh, uh, you know, yeah, culture. And, uh, and I think that goes into very well into the sustainability. And, and I think there's something about mechanical timepieces that when you make them, they hopefully should last for a long time. Um, and, and which also then goes into the design because you want to have a design which is not very time typical, but something that will last for a very long time, which makes the watch itself sustainable. But anyways, so it's been something that was on our mind, uh, really from the beginning. And then when these things became more pertinent, we, we started thinking more about how can we, how can we actually, uh, you know, try and, and not to, waste so much um so um and it's not just one thing um it, it literally goes through you know how do you produce uh, what do you produce how do you uh marketing something to you produce endless amount of you know catalogs that get you know sent around the world how do you sell how much do you travel uh you know, what do you make uh, you know, proper straps off, um, you know, the boxes, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all, um, it's a very long-term process. So, so people or brands that say, oh, we, we are super green because we buy carbon offset, carbon, uh, coupons, right? Or whatever they do is a little bit like, well, that, that's just a marketing attitude, right? To get people to buy more of your stuff. And how you should really think about it is a, is a complete, you know, sort of, uh, you know, rule set of, of how do you, how do you operate in your day-to-day -day business? You know, uh, so, you know, as a small example, we spoke to uh, the factory that makes our rubber straps uh, about um, if we could do recycled rubber straps. And for some years, they said that, that it's not possible because uh, you know the raw rubber get uh, you know vulcanized, and you can't you can't reverse that process. But then they found out uh, how to uh, use some of the scrapings that naturally come when you produce uh, rubber straps, and to integrate that into the rubber. Um, and so all our rubber straps now are I mean, a it's a natural product and it's non animistic, um, and uh, but it also uses 30% recycled. So, which then also makes sure that aesthetically and also, you know, wearability is the same. Because the problem is when you up the, uh, the recycled materials, then you start feeling that the quality of the problem strap is not what you would like. So, so there's always a balancing act of how far you can go and how far you want to go. Um, and, uh, you know, our new... Our new boxes have also been redesigned, right, so that you can use your watch box for traveling and for carrying, you know, extra straps. Uh, but also it, we make it out of, uh, I think they're made out of, uh, you know, grape skins now. And when you when you look at them and you feel them, it feels exactly like leather, but it's actually, you know, grape skin. And I think all these things, right, just makes you, uh, and, you know, it's a challenge. Uh, 
Um, and uh, but but it's it's also you know very sensible and and a, you know, and a positive challenge, and it, and it also goes into you know production of of the cases. You know we we are communicating with a factory that uh, you know use uh, solar energy for you know melting down recycled uh, metals. Um, but at the end, it, it, it's a process, and I think it's something that everybody should really do. And in 2020, we were rewarded a, an award by something called Positive Lottery, which basically had to do with uh, our pre-owned, right? That, you know, we, we're very happy to take people's used watches in and, and sell them again, right? And, and, and they felt that that was a very important step uh, for the industry to, to take responsibility for that. Johan, thank you so much. I could continue talking to you for hours <laughs> like was <laughs> you have this relaxed tone of voice vibe you could definitely take this for hours you're you're a very easy guest i hardly had any work this episode and i've enjoyed every minute of it well likewise thank you thank you so much um it's a joy i'm i am definitely going to see what the bidding war is going to yield for you guys. I wish you the best of luck. It is a stunning piece. It's lovely to hear that you guys are alive and kicking, that you're working on the third decade. Um, for our dear listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find all our previous episodes on our official website, www.therealtime.show. And on Instagram, you can find us on our new handle at therealtime.show. If you want to support the show, please subscribe, like, rate, and share it with your friends. If you have any questions, feedback, and or criticism, please do send us a message. You can also DM us if you want to join the TRTS community. You can reach Rob via email, rob at therealtime.show, and on Instagram, you can find him at robnuts. You can message me via alone at therealtime.show, and on the gram, you can find me at alonben. Joseph, stay sane and keep on ticking. <laughs>